Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of That's What B Said. I am your host, Bree at Breezy Clee, and I'm joined by Brittany Mollis at Bird's Eye View. Hi, Britt. Hello, everyone. And Meredith Kane at MCAN Sports. Hello, Meredith. Hi, guys. We are thrilled because tonight we're previewing Brown Steelers matchup on Sunday with a very special guest, one of our favorites who needs no introduction, Miss Aditi Kinkalbala. Hi, Aditi. Welcome to our show. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. We are thrilled to have you join us. We are not sure if, if you even know how much Cleveland fans love you, <laughs> but we put out a teaser tweet earlier this week that you were going to be joining us, and the response has been overwhelming. Um, so we're going to get into the pregame matchup in a little bit, but first, we want to talk to you just about your career, how you got your start. So I'm going to turn it over to Brittany. All right. So... I was stalking your life on the internet today, which I do normally, but like today I actually have a reason to do it. <laughs> this makes me really nervous. You know, I don't Google myself because I don't want to really know what's out there. Oh, it's all good things. It's all good. Uh, I would only look for good things, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Well then I like that filter, whatever the one you think Okay. So I was reading some of your articles when you were a reporter at Sports Illustrated and I noticed that you did a lot of women-centered pieces. There was one called Way Off Base, which is an article about how Major League Baseball deals with domestic violence. I saw another one called Real Life Education. It was an article about Bryn Cameron rebounding from giving birth while still uh, playing at USC. Then there was another article about Candace Parker um, when she became a mom. And these articles were written between 2007 and 2009-ish. And while it doesn't seem that long ago, a lot of things have changed since then including the introduction of social media, which has made it easier than ever for everyone to share an opinion on every piece of content. Uh, so my question is, how has social media impacted your professional life? And is it ever hard for you to block out the negativity and take the high road like women are often told to do while being bullied, especially online? I think it's so interesting you say that because just today, I was thinking about how difficult it is to hear the hate sometimes. You know, when I was a newspaper writer, if people disagreed with me or had a problem with me, they'd have to write me an email. And writing an email takes some sort of an effort. You'd have to find my email address, which was usually at the bottom of my article, but you'd have to go ahead and type in my whole name, write an email, hit send, all of that. Twitter has completely changed that. It takes you half a second to tell somebody something nasty, like just Last week, I think, somebody decided to throw out there that I had a baby via a former Pittsburgh Steeler, which obviously that. is completely not true. But it was, it's just, you're right. I mean, it's one of those things that's incredibly difficult to deal with. You have to have thick skin, but mm -hmm. we're all human. And what we do is incredibly personal. Mm -hmm. Everything that I do has my name attached to it or my face attached to it. So obviously I take it very, very personally and I'm very invested in what I do. And it's disappointing to have people constantly tell you that you're wrong. I used to say, I'm going on a tangent here, but when I was a lot younger, I used to joke that anytime I went out to a bar, people would tell me that I was wrong. I was wrong about whatever it was that I would talk about. If I were a rocket scientist, nobody would argue with me. Nobody, I used to say this about Alex Rodriguez because at the time I spent a lot of time covering the Yankees and, you know, Alex Rodriguez was not Derek Jeter. Mm -hmm. 
in terms of personality or generosity or whatever. But people would argue with me right and left that A-Rod was the greatest guy that ever lived. And they had never met him. They had never spent any time with him. They had never been in the Yankee clubhouse with him or sitting in the dugout. But they told me that I was wrong and they were right. And that's the whole point. If I were a rocket scientist, nobody would ever tell me I was wrong or that I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But as a sports writer or a sports broadcaster, of course you're wrong. Fans know more about people they've never met than you, the person that spends all this time with the people you're talking about. Anyway, there's my rant. That's it. It's over. But you know what? There's a flip side to it, too. People get to say incredibly nice, warm, encouraging things to you very quickly, too. And you make friends, just like the three of you made friends on social media. And we've all become friends or will become friends i hope at the end of this if i don't um, yeah last last summer i was i tweeted you and i was like oh, Didi, let's go get pedicures when you're in town <laughs> i'm still waiting to do that or is that like the end of covid are we do we need covid to end to do it that? was like two, what was it two years ago well no this not this past summer two summers ago but you know our schedules I'm super busy, you know, being a normal person, and you're super busy being a rock star, so the schedule's a bit mesh, and we <laughs> didn't do it. In my brain, by the way. <laughs> All right, so everyone's professional journey is interesting because we can't really plan for what comes next in life, and according to my research today, <laughs> you graduated from Cornell with a degree in American Studies, is that correct? That is correct. I was pre-law. Ooh, and my parents asked me for a good 10 years when I was going to law school. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It wasn't until I got the job at the Wall Street Journal that my mom stopped asking me when I was going to law school. Oh, my goodness. How did you decide that sports reporting was the avenue that you wanted to take? I mean, I don't think that I really ever decided that. I just sort of fell into it. I was a senior in college and I was pre-law, as I said, but I wasn't going to go to law school right away. And I had accepted a job as a financial advisor for Bloomberg, which if you know anything about me makes zero sense because I am horrible at math <laughs> and I can't sit still by any means. So just the thought of sitting behind a desk and doing something related to numbers makes no sense. But a week before I graduated college, a sports editor in San Antonio, Texas, sent me an email and said, I have this great job. I think you'd be perfect for it. You should apply for it. And my initial thought as a kid who was born in New York and grew up in New Jersey and went to Cornell was, yeah, Texas, no thanks. <laughs> then I thought, wow, an all expenses paid trip to a city that I've never been to. I ought to go on this interview. And I went on this interview and I completely, totally, entirely, in a platonic way, fell in love with this guy, this sports editor, and going to work for him. And true story, he spoke at my wedding. He is still my mentor to this day. Oh, wow. But, That's such a great you know, story. I figured I'd like do this for a year and it would bolster <laughs> my application to law school. Like how many people would say they covered high school football in Texas and then were applying to law school. But I just really fell in love with the actual art and craft of writing a story and telling a story and every single day being different and learning about people's lives and learning their stories. And here I am this many years later still doing it. Is it okay if I use you as an example to my parents? Because 
I was pre-law at one point as well. And I thought I was going to, and I've never told this to anyone and this could get me some, some hate, but I was planning on going to Michigan for law school. Um, and things changed. I decided I didn't want to. And I think to this day, my parents are still upset. So can I be like, mom, dad, look, Aditi Kinkle Walla took the exact same path. You can, I don't know how far it'll get you. I don't know if it'll get you anywhere. But you are welcome to do that. So if I you lovingly tell everybody, by the way, there are eight doctors in my family, all named Kinkabala. But I always so I'm the black sheep, obviously. But I always say that I'm the most Googleable. Of all of the yeah, there you go. <laughs> I can attest to that. Yes. Oh, Clearly, I mean, you're pulling out these pieces that I've written that I forgot that I wrote. Mike, I was supposed I was supposed to be working today, and I'm reading these articles. <laughs> I'm like, oh, were they any good, or were they really sophomoric? I mean, no, I I very much enjoyed them, and I kept thinking, you know, wow, this was. You know, you don't think that 2007 or 2009, like that was that long ago, but like it was, and just so much has changed. And the fact that you put out pieces like that was, you know, was admirable, especially for 2007, that 2007, is that when you were in grade school? I were you was, even alive? Were you bored? <laughs> I was, it was my first year of college. Yeah, I graduated in 2006. And um, like I was in, I wanted to be a sports reporter. Um but then I realized that I, I wasn't, I didn't have the personality to be a reporter necessarily because I wasn't, um, I wouldn't say maybe nosy enough, but like, I didn't feel like it was my business to ask questions. <laughs> so like I went into, I'm a copywriter now and you know, I found myself in like business roles, which is, bleh. but uh, yeah, so that was. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I think to be a reporter, you have to indeed be insatiably curious, mm -hmm. but there is a fine line. And this is a conversation I have with Tracy Wolfson, who is one of my dear, dear friends and also a mentor. She is CBS's number one sideline reporter. And uh, we both feel that there's sort of a line that you don't cross. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very curious, but neither of us is the sort of person to blow up an athlete Sure. you know, at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night and yeah. text and email and call and say, hey, give me this or give me that. There's sort of a window to ask questions mm -hmm. and a window that's their private lives. Yeah. And we both, you know, we've talked about this at length, that it's just not our place to bother people outside of work in the same way that we wouldn't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. But that perhaps hold us back, holds us back in some ways. Yeah, I get that. I totally understand. So I don't know. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, so women have been getting into sports broadcasting more and more. Uh, I mean, I got into it a little late uh, just for the pure reason that I didn't realize that women could work in sports, if that makes sense. Because I grew up watching... TV and, you know, listening to sports radio and it was, you know, guys were all sports writers, all the men on the radio were, were men. And so it, it took me a while to get into it. Um, but more and more women are getting into it and a lot of glass ceilings have been shattered, but we still have a lot more to shatter and we have a long way to go. So if you had any advice for your younger self or any advice for women who want to get into sports, who haven't gotten that foot in the door yet, what kind of advice would you give them? Ask questions, 
ask more questions, and then ask more questions. Uh, write, write as much as you possibly can. I think that writing is the best training. And what's most notable about that is that probably the reason that I have focused as much on writing or loved writing as much as my dad. My dad is an engineer and he would always tell me that he worked with all these brilliant people who had these brilliant ideas, but their ideas were essentially worthless because they couldn't explain them on paper. And so I really do believe being a good writer is an is a immeasurably valuable skill that crosses all sorts of different arenas. It doesn't really matter what you want to do, but being a good writer will help you. So ask questions, write, and have a thick skin, I guess. I mean, I, I really do think that it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult, difficult industry. And it's funny because... I'm thinking about this as I say this. For so long, I have been trained to put up with so much. And it was sort of the price of doing business. You know, if you want to be a woman in a male-dominated field, you just have to put up with more. But as I get older, and as the mother of a daughter now, I feel like you shouldn't have to put up with that that nothing ever changes if we sit here and we say that that's the cost of doing business. It shouldn't be that way anymore. But I still do think, it, you know, it's an ego-driven business. And so you have to have a thick skin regardless, because like I said a little earlier, people are always going to argue with you. You can feel like you know Baker Mayfield and you've got a great read on Baker Mayfield, but <laughs> somebody out there is going to tell you, you know nothing about Baker Mayfield. Aditi, we call those types of people because we get them a lot with our podcast. You know, we're just three girls chatting sports, which you can imagine how that goes with some people. Um, we call them Dales. That was a Britney coined term. And they're, the thing that they do best is, well, actually, and it doesn't matter what we say. We could be talking about the weather, the sky being blue, and they will tell us that the sky is pink. <laughs> I mean, matter. we could be talking about like coach handbags and they'll still find a way to tell us that we're wrong. Yes. Well, yes. of course. Well, that populate that segment of the population is always out there. <laughs> there there's a, there are radio hosts that, I mean, I can't, I can sit here and you say that and at least 12 different names or images come into my head. <laughs> is that that sad? And that's, that's in sad. half a second. That is oh sad. gosh. Okay, so we regularly watch Browns. Pre I can't wait to ask you this. By the way, <laughs> we we regularly watch Browns pressers, and one thing we've noticed, and we've actually even commented on in the show, is that whenever you ask Kevin Stefanski a question, he looks genuinely happy to answer you because you always <laughs> ask thoughtful questions. <laughs> so tell us, Aditi, how does it feel to be a breath of fresh air in the media? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so clearly you don't watch Mike Tomlin press conferences because when I <laughs> he rolls his eyes <laughs> or sighs or finds a way not to answer. <laughs> I think Kevin Stefanski just doesn't know me well enough yet, which is why. Oh, no. No, you know what? I, really, I have to say, I really like him. I really, really genuinely do. I think he's funny. I think that he... Um, 
he makes an effort where he can. You know, he does, uh, every football coach obfuscates to some extent. I, I always say that Mike Tomlin is the master of the filibuster. Um, <laughs> and Kevin Stefanski, when it comes to injuries, he just hedges in every way. It's like, come on, just say Baker's limited today. Like, what is the big deal? It's not a state secret. Um, but he, I, I feel like he tries. I feel mm -hmm. like he tries. And I also think that... Um, he appreciates a question that's not the same, you know, routine question that he gets all the time. But I will also say that you have to, you have to cut slack to beat writers because beat writers have to cover transactional news that I am free not to cover. And this is something that changed for me when I went to the Wall Street Journal in that I did not have to write the same daily pieces of news, meaning, oh, the left guard was limited at practice, or, oh, the right tackle has a sprained ankle. I, I just didn't have to do that. I got to look at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And it's tough to get bogged down in those details, but that's part of your job as a beat reporter is to do that. Sure. And so... I would just say, again, cut those people some slack. They're doing their job. It seems a little boring. It seems like it's always the same, but someone has to cover those details. Yeah. Okay, so I'm so glad you brought up Mike Tomlin pressers because <laughs> he said something today, and one of the producers that I was working with today thought that it was a shot at Cleveland. I didn't think so. I want to get your opinion on it. Uh, he made a comment uh, in coming or in facing Cleveland this weekend, said something about cooks in the kitchen. Now, <laughs> in in true Not radio, cooks. he said it's hot. He said yeah, it's hot, hot in the yeah, kitchen. There you go. So, good. in in true radio fashion, it was oh, is there you know is, is there something we can make out of this? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Like that feels like it's such a common turn of phrase. Is it? The do you think hot in the kitchen? I was like, what does that mean? Hot do you okay. do you think that Mike okay, Tomlin okay. So, was so taking Ken a Carmen, shot? Ken Carmen at 6 15 a.m. My phone rings. Oh and no. Ken Carmen oh, is no. lucky that my daughter wakes up at 5 30 every day. Otherwise, oh, no. I would have really been like, what are you doing? He calls me and he says, I need you on the radio. I need you to get on. And it was exactly over this. So exactly what I said to him. A Mike Tomlin has the most bizarre, weird Mike Tomlinisms ever. And some of them he's used for years. Like the standard is the standard. The opponent is a gray, nameless face. Others turn up. They're just new every week. A few years ago, there was something about popcorn. None of us ever understood what he was talking about. And I don't think we still understand what he was talking about. He introduced a new one on Sunday called saying, uh, the strength of the pack is the pack. He used it to describe his wide receivers, and then he used it again this week to talk about the Browns' offense, that as opposed to one individual being the strength, it's the entirety of the pack that makes them so strong. So having said that, he likes sayings. He likes these, you know, pithy little things that he can throw out there. It's not surprising that he would say, we're in the kitchen. The AFC North is the kitchen. It's hot in the AFC North. 
So that's number one. Number two, the guy is not passive aggressive. Like he's not going to take a shot at Freddie Kitchens in that way. This is not, and I said this on the radio, this is not like Wes Welker talking about Rex Ryan's foot fetish by (laughs) referencing feet and foot and whatever a dozen times in a press conference, which you're probably too young to remember this, Britt, but this was in the, what year was that? It was, it was the year actually that the Steelers beat the Jets in the AFC title game. So 2010, I think. And Wes Welker did this whole press conference. Wait, was it Wes Welker? Whatever. It was a little receiver on the Patriots who kept bringing up feet and feet and foot. And it was all like this snide little passive aggressive making fun of Rex Ryan. That's not Mike Tomlin's style. That's just not what he would do. And he's also very much like Freddie Kitchens is completely irrelevant to this matchup with the Browns this week. Yes. Overdone, whatever. So I'm sorry, I hate to break it to you, but there was (laughs) nothing more to that than Mike Tomlin coming up with some phrase. Oh no, I'm actually, I'm glad because that was, that was my, that was my thought on it. So I'm, I'm glad that you agreed with me because you're right. And if if you're right, that means I'm right. If only Mike Tomlin wore a shirt to the press conference. Oh my God. You know? Uh, yeah, also not his style. There's no way Kevin Stefanski makes Miles Garrett a captain this week, right? Like no way. I don't, I don't think so. Cause and and he would announce it anyway. Yeah. And well, and even, and even Tomless, Tomlin said earlier this week that, you know, he doesn't want a soap opera. He wants a game. Right. And I feel like Kevin Stefanski kind of has that same attitude. You know, he's yep. so just even keel and level-headed and, you know, wanting to win his games. Like even on Monday, he was asked about victory Monday. Like, what did he do differently? He said, it's Monday. We're preparing for next week. So uh, I, I cannot see a situation where he would make Miles Garrett a game captain this week, knowing what happened in the Browns last game against the Steelers. Yeah. Agreed. I will say that Kevin Stefanski definitely seems like the most even person, mm-hmm. you know, like I wonder what really gets his blood pressure going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Question to ask. <laughs> that, that, you know what? That, that might be the next. Yeah, that'll be your next question. <laughs> next week. Yeah. Tomorrow. I'll, t- I'll ask him that. Does anything raise your blood pressure? Does anything cause great excitement? I mean, he does have some gray hair. I guess that could just be aging, but there could be a cause to that. Sometimes it's children. I don't know. My dad always... Yeah, he does have three of them. That's probably what it is. I mean, mine are aging me, so... (laughs) My dad always blamed his gray hair on me, so maybe that's where it came from. (laughs) Um, So we have a few more, I guess... Non, non-sports or lifestyle questions before we get into the game matchup, but uh, you do get assigned to Cleveland uh, quite a bit from the NFL net- Network, which we always appreciate. Um, and like we were talking about earlier, your daughter was born here. So do you get any opportunity to explore the city for fun? Do you ever get the chance to come visit here? Or when you come, is it just, you know, Berea business, first energy business, and then home? And then if you do get to explore the city, is there like a favorite place, a favorite restaurant, a favorite spot that you have around here? Um, You know what? I've spent some time in Lakewood. Um, I like Town Hall. That's a fun place to be. 
I really like, I often stay uh, right by the stadium. So mm -hmm. there's a, I don't know if it's Lebanese or Mediterranean restaurant, Taza, that I like a lot. Oh, yeah, uh, I know that one. It's right by the stadium. Mm -hmm. It's on that strip. Um, yeah, you know what? I like Cleveland. I haven't done, you know, I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, obviously. I like walking around the lake. But in general, I think a lot has changed since I had children. Before I had kids, I would be more apt to spend the night in a hotel, go out to a great meal, walk around, enjoy myself. Now it's really, you know, Cleveland is two and a half hours from my house. And I am much more likely to make that a day trip just because I have kids at home. Sure. Although really, maybe it would be better for my mental health if I didn't. <laughs> I may not say married though, because I do put a lot on my husband when I leave. So, Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Aditi, good segue. COVID has obviously flipped the entire world upside down, um, as well as the sporting world being no different. And there's obviously a ton of new protocols in place. You have less access to teams. Everything is pretty much moved to a virtual world much like most of us working from home. How has that impacted your job both negatively, but maybe some positives as well? So I hate it. I really, really do. <laughs> I miss being in a locker room. I miss having personal conversations with people. I miss the one-on-one -on -one interaction. I can't I say this not to toot my own horn, but last week, Marquise County, the Steelers Center, was on a Zoom. And, you know, you have to wait to be called. And they said, Aditi Kinkabwala. And uh, I said something like, good morning. And Marquise said, hey, Aditi. He's like, I miss you. I miss our Friday conversations. And that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I miss those conversations. I miss talking politics and about our kids and the world at large and whatever. Uh, that's how you really get to know people. And that's how you know what they're telling you is true or is not true. Or that's what gives me the confidence to say, I don't think this person is passive aggressive, or I do feel this person is even keeled. You learn that by interacting with them. And right now, we're all getting the same content. We're all limited to one question a piece on these Zooms. Some people are just not any good on Zooms. The same way that some people yeah. are not great in a scrum and are awesome one-on-one. -on -one. So I miss all of that. Um, I miss getting out of the house. I really do. I think that it makes me a better mother and it makes my children miss me more, appreciate me more. I, th I think we all appreciate each other more when we have a little bit of separation. That idea of coming home and, you know, on Sunday I came home from covering a game and I walk in the house and my son is screaming, mommy's home, mommy's home. I miss it. I mean, that used to happen every day. It's the greatest feeling in the world. And now it rarely happens. So all of that is tough. The perk is that every couple hours I get to see my kids, you know, or every hour or so I, uh, I have a lot more time with them, but that's also a double-edged sword. I mean, you get that obviously because yeah. they're not as independent when you're constantly there. And they rely on you a little bit more and that that's hard. I don't, my daughter walked into a live shot uh, 
What day is today? Today's Wednesday. See, and that's another thing. All the days run together. Yeah, exactly. Monday. Yeah, it's October. <laughs> did, it, did, did we know that? October, yeah. So on Monday, I was live on TV and we have no childcare this week. And so my husband and I are juggling all of this. And Matt was supposed to be with Kaya, our daughter. And uh, I was supposed to be live at whatever, let's call it one forty one. But because of news, I got pushed back, I got pushed back, I got pushed back. And at 147, I'm live on TV. And all of a sudden, I hear these little footsteps climbing the steps of my office. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm still trying to talk and pay attention. But I hear these steps. And then I, you know, I'm thinking very subtly wave to this little one-year-old, right? Like she gets yeah. the wave, you know, like stay Don't out notice of me. Shot. <laughs> So Andrew Siciliano, our host, says to me, Didi, did you just wave? And I said, no, actually, I'm trying to tell my daughter to stay out of the live shot. And right then she starts talking and climbs up onto my lap. So there she was on live TV. And what do I do? Like, I make a joke about it, right? She's my yeah. Cleveland-born baby. And I was saying really nice things about the Steelers. So, you know, rivalry week, go. obviously. She's Perfect. Me. Like, stop talking about the Steelers, mom. Um, we might have to uh, send your daughter a Cleveland shirt, like a little yes. baby Cleveland shirt. I, you know what? I'll send you, I'll send all of you a picture after this. She does actually. The, I will say this. The, this is one of the coolest stories. So I was in Cleveland to cover the Browns-Titans game week one of last year. And uh, I was 32 weeks pregnant. And I went into premature labor in my uh, hotel room. And rushed to the Cleveland Clinic and my daughter was born, obviously, you know, two months early. She was three and a half pounds and we were in the Cleveland Clinic and obviously we're not supposed to be there. We're not expecting to be there. Had run out of clean clothes and the Browns couriered us over um, clean clothes. All Cleveland Browns gear, obviously. (laughs) Steelers season ticket holding husband was like, do I really need to put this on? And I was like, get out of the dirty underwear. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so my daughter um, has worn some Cleveland clothing and someone just actually gave her a Johnny Manziel jersey, which I'm not quite sure what to do with. Oh God. You know, I will say my mother-in-law got my son a Johnny Manziel jersey as well a year ago. I was like, you know, this is why it was like $2 on clearance. Yeah, at Marshall's. Because that's what they said. That's like my son has all these Antonio Brown jerseys. And it's like, yeah, because at Marshall's and TJ Maxx, they're $1.99 right now. Yep. (laughs) I saw, and I almost got one for Brit, but they only had them in like extra, 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 extra large, but um, they had like $4 Deshaun Kaiser jerseys. Oh, you know what? Oh my God. Talk about <laughs> a poor kid's career. <laughs> right? It was ruined, right? Like, he was oh, such yeah. a great kid. I finally feel solidified in my opinion about Deshaun. I am the number one Deshaun Kaiser hype woman there is. Okay, well, I have to tell you, I liked him so much. I thought his family was great. I had such high hopes for him. But Hugh Jackson putting him in and yanking him out, putting him in and yanking him out. Do you think that anybody's career is going to work that way? Thank you. Aditi, you are a queen, okay? I've been (laughs) preaching this for years, and everyone's just like, oh, you're so Thank you. Thank you for saying that. This, this psyche of a professional athlete, it, I mean, that's no small part of the game. That's another thing I would do. If I ever ran a football team, I'd make sure that I had a sports psychologist on staff. Yeah. Good idea. Please run anyway, a football team. I'd love to see that. <laughs> yes. Like it. All right. Should we, 
shift Cleveland gears. Browns can hire her. Right? Yeah, that's right. They, they're already hiring smart people with right. Andrew Barry yes. and Kevin Stefanski. So. Smart people do smart things. Bring it here. A lot of Ivy Leaguers there. That's true. That's right. Yes. All right, let's shift gears to the big game on Sunday. All right, Ooh. so the 4-1 and Cleveland Browns, imagine that, take on the 4-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh in what should be a very good game. Uh, we know the Steelers are enjoying their best start since 1979 and the Browns um, since 1994. So it, the Steelers are still favored. I think at this point it's three and a half um, after starting the week at about five and a half. We as Browns fans feel we are finally, we feel matched. It's not an overmatch going into the game, both on the coaching staff as well as the players, because we know that we've been outmatched on both parts for so many years. Mm -hmm. Aditi, does it feel that same way from a Pittsburgh perspective? Does it feel like more of an even match than it has in the past? I mean, for sure. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think, if anything, the Steelers haven't really played with tremendous consistency over the last few weeks. You know, one week it's the defense bailing out the offense. Next week it's the offense playing well and the defense looking absolutely horrific. Mm -hmm. um, meaning I'm referring to this past week against the Eagles. I mean, the defense allowed 15 unanswered points. The defense allowed the Eagles to convert 10 of 14 third downs. A lot of those third downs were huge chunk plays, 74 yards, 20 yards, 37 yards. And this is supposed to be an elite defense. So the Steelers are still clearly trying to find themselves and get into a good, consistent rhythm. And there's no question that the – Browns have a ridiculous amount of talent. I mean, maybe more talent than anybody else in the AFC North, frankly. So it's nice to see. My expectation was that the learning curve with a new staff, new schemes on both sides of the ball, that it would take a little bit of time. But it sure seems like it's not taking as much time as one as I would have expected, perhaps, or they've gotten it together. And that's really a testament to the coaching staff. So we, so we've been talking all week and this has been like the favorite radio subject is, you know, are the Browns and the Steelers still a rivalry? Because like Bree said, you know, the Browns have been completely outmatched year in and, and year out. And for the first time, it feels like they're going in on an even playing field, but a lot of Pittsburgh fans, at least this is the response that I saw was that a lot of Steelers fans are like, no, it's not a rivalry. Whereas Browns fans are like, yes, absolutely. This is a rivalry. So do you think the rivalry died? And if it did, do you think this game might revive it? I don't think it's dead. I think that so much of rivalry is history. And it's funny because when I first moved to Pittsburgh and my husband would talk about the Browns so derisively, I just didn't get it. And I was like, I don't understand. You know, it's like hitting the little sisters of the poor, you know, like you beat them up constantly. <laughs> what is the right? Like, I understand hating the Ravens because it felt like when I first moved here, the Steelers and the Ravens were constantly battling for the division. But what is this about the Browns? And, you know, I think it's sort of this deep seated feel. It's the way that if you're a Yankee fan, you have to hate the Red Sox like done, you know, it's just in your blood, but also Look, the team split their games last year, yep. right? They went one and one. And I think that the games have been more competitive. I think that as the Browns get better, it is more legitimate. But of course, the Browns have to 
be more competitive in Pittsburgh. That's part of it. You know, you can't not win in a city for 17, 18 years and say, oh yeah, this is really truly a legitimate rivalry. But I do think that we're going to see a change. And I really do think the AFC North is going to have three playoff teams. This is right. I believe the AFC North is the best football in the country right now. Sure looks that way. Yeah. It has been a lot of really fun football. Yeah. Um, Okay. So people have been discrediting the Steelers. Some people, not everyone. They've been discrediting the Steelers' hot start because the combined record against their opponents is 315 and one. Um, If it makes you feel any better, they've also been discrediting the Browns because of who they played as well. Um, (laughs) Would you say this is Pittsburgh's first true test this season? You play who's, who is on your schedule. Mm-hmm. And I also, I don't think that these were all horribly damaged teams that the Steelers saw. Yes, for sure, the Giants are not particularly good and the Texans have struggled, but Deshaun Watson is one of yes. the stars in the NFL. And... Uh, the Eagles sure gave them a great fight, and Carson Wentz looked really good. And, I mean, you play who's on your schedule. Yeah, I think the Browns are – and I said this on air. I said this on the NFL Network. The Browns are the best team, that the best, most complete team that the Steelers have seen so far. But, again, I sound like a coach when I say this. It's not easy to win in the NFL, especially week in and week out. And so you have to get up. The same thing that we're talking about, what's difficult about the pandemic, that's difficult for everyone. It's difficult not to play in front of fans. It's, you know, all of that. So I don't want to minimize anybody's wins. You know, I don't minimize the Browns' performance against the Bengals because it was the Bengals. I think it was a really good performance. I think it was a really important game and an important win. So, yes, this, I do expect this to be the toughest opponent or the most complete opponent the Steelers have seen so far but I also don't diminish I don't say that the Steelers 4-0 record means nothing just like I don't say the Browns 4-1 record means nothing I like it so the Steelers had I guess an unplanned bye week uh, thanks to the Titans and COVID-19. And, and we were talking earlier in the pod about, you know, the starting, the restarting and, and how that affects the psyche. So do you think that the uh, unintended bye week uh, that the Steelers had, do you think that hurt them or did it help them? Well, it hurt me because now I don't have Halloween off to go trick-or-treating with my kids. I, oh, no. say I think that there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of frustration. And, you know, to some degree, they harnessed that. But I think we're going to see a lot of this in the NFL. And this is one of those things that this year, you just have to accept that. And what I mean by that is that it wasn't a typical bye week. It wasn't a bye week where the veterans got off. It wasn't a bye week where the younger players got extra development. It wasn't a bye week that even included the four days off that you're supposed to have in a bye week. And so I think it's frustrating to spend all week preparing for an opponent. And then suddenly you don't have that opponent anymore. And you've kind of wasted the week to some degree. Um, I think it's also frustrating that you expected to have a week off right in the middle of the season. And now you don't. But, okay, so you, so I've got one more follow up to, to that because sure. you did say that, um, you know, we're we're expecting this to happen more, and we've seen it happen a little bit with other teams, but not to the point where they needed to completely cancel games. Like Cam Newton 
had COVID, but the Patriots were still able to play. Do you expect another team to kind of have a massive outbreak the way the Titans did? Or, or do you kind of expect it to be, you know, maybe one person gets sick, they're able to quarantine in time, and then the rest of the team can move forward without them until they get better? Well, I certainly hope for the latter. And if anything, I yeah. hope the whole Titans situation was a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. that you really do have to take all of these protocols seriously. And I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, they practiced in the midst of an outbreak. They got together when they were explicitly told not to, or perhaps they got together before. And then afterwards it was deemed that, you know, very explicitly that you're not supposed to get together when your facility is closed. So let's see how the league and the PA deal with that. Um, but yeah, you do hope that it was a wake up call. Because up until then, the numbers in the league had been fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about Big Ben for a second. So even though he's getting up there in age, not that he's old, but like, you know, football years. You okay, know. please be careful. Yeah. Because exactly. he's actually <laughs> no, <laughs> 38 is not old by any means. Everyone yeah, listen to that. Again, again, right? Not at all. Not, old. not at all. Um, but, you know, in terms of football and what you put your body through, um, and last year, he spent most of the year out and then the offseason getting healthy and stuff. Is it fair to say that Ben still has it? Like, he's still good. He's still going to keep them competitive. I will say this. Ben is, you know, if he doesn't have everything on his fastball, it really doesn't matter because he's a lot smarter than he's ever been. He is reading defenses in a different way. He has perspective, I think, after a year away. And he's talked about this. This isn't just what I think, that that year away, that year stuck on the sidelines, helped his mental game tremendously. He was able to watch how calls go in, watch the way receivers respond, watch how they came off the field, talk to them when they came off the field for what they saw. And, and I think that that piece of his game, the intellectual part of his game, has really taken a jump. And we actually saw this this last week when – the Steelers are diversifying their offense in a way they haven't in the last few years. And Ben is making checks and reads and calling plays in a different way. Uh, I do. I, I think that I don't know that physically he's really hurting in any significant way or that he's diminished beyond just, you know, he's not nearly as mobile or he doesn't look as athletic when he runs maybe. But separate of that, he's still got the arm strength. His body can still do all that. He's still a big body that's tough to take down. Mm-hmm. And he's got immeasurable experience. I mean, he's seen just about everything at this point. So, sure. no, I don't think he's diminished in any way. I think he's playing better than he probably has in a long time. Bad news for us. <laughs> Are we allowed to ask you for a prediction for this week, or have you not – publicized your prediction for this game yet i don't i actually have not and i don't i I, you know i hate the prediction business i used to cover uh rutgers football and the athletic director bob mulcahy every week would ask me my prediction i was just like i hate predictions i mean in general i have a sense of who's going to win um but i often don't say that i don't share that I have one final question for you. Okay. How in the heck do the Browns stop Chase Claypool? (laughs) 
who came out of nowhere. Don't put a linebacker on him. Well, you know what? This is the thing with the Steelers wide receiver group. It is actually very deep, and there's a lot of talent there. So it's kind of pick your poison. You need to uh, – Mike Tomlin – Chase Claypool had four touchdowns on Sunday, and Mike Tomlin tried to minimize that, saying, well, it was just his turn, and, well, he just took advantage of the way the defense was going, and really it could have been somebody else. And to some degree, there is some truth to that. But, of course, he had to catch the ball when the ball came his way. Yep. And when Ben changed a play, you know, Claypool's last touchdown was a check, was Ben changing the play at the line of scrimmage, and Claypool did what he needed him to do. I don't think it's just him, but, you know, there's Juju Smith-Schuster, there's James Washington, there's Deontay Johnson, who really is arguably the biggest game-breaker in the entire group. So... There's tight ends, Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald, who can both catch the ball. You've got running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield and they can go out, you know, they can play in the slot as well. So I, I think it's all about matchups and what is the favorable matchup. And uh, the Steelers were able to take advantage of Chase Claypool on a linebacker repeatedly. So we'll see. We'll see what, how the Browns deal with him. But as Ben Roethlisberger said just today, Claypool isn't going to sneak up on anybody now. So yeah, what does he yeah. do when people are aware of him? Well, our secondary for the Browns, I don't know if they've been aware of anyone outside of Denzel Ward. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, our defense can accidentally get two points. Yes, uh, yes, they can create turnovers. So, yes, there's, there's that. All right. <clears throat> well, this was amazing, Aditi. Aditi, we thank you so much for joining us tonight and taking time out of your busy schedule, um, not only with work, but also being a mother. So thank you. Thank you. Um, everyone who is listening, you guys can find Aditi on Twitter. Um, her handle is at A-K-I-N-K-H-A-B-W-A-L-A. Um, she's also on Instagram at Aditi NFL. You can get a can cameo from her um, that she donates to charity. And obviously you can find her on NFL Network and sometimes with Ken Carmen and the guys on 92.3 The Fan. Aditi, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to the game on Sunday. Well, thank you so much for having me and I'd love to be back. We will definitely take you up on that. <laughs>